So this morning, we're in the fourth of our series of five, looking at the first letter to the Christians in Thessalonica, the letter to the Thessalonians written by Paul, Timothy and Silas, but for ease of uh, communication, we usually refer to it as the letter from Paul. And we're going to look, first of all, at the scriptures. But before we do, I'm just going to pray, because I think it's important that we ask that God directs our thoughts, our hearts, our minds. So let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the beauty of the sunshine. We thank you for all that you give us. And we pray now that by your Holy Spirit, you will lead me as I speak, that the words I speak may be true to the text that we are looking at, that our minds and our hearts will be open to what you have to say to us today. And I pray this in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, here is the text. Finally, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction doesn't reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. So that's the first part of what we're looking at. And if you noticed on that first slide, we were looking at holiness and hope because this particular part of the letter concentrates on those two aspects. Now, I forgot to say, and John's just reminded me by getting up and walking to the back, kids, there are some colouring sheets, some puzzle activities for you to do. If you want to go and find some, they are over in the back corner there. So please do that so that you have something to look at, something to think about. So the first thing I think to say is that the Bible text begins finally, but actually this isn't the end of the matter. Paul has this wonderful habit of using the term finally when actually there's quite a lot more to be said. But it does indicate perhaps the final section of the letter. And it is divided into these two main areas of holiness and hope. And both of these are set against the cultural background in which the Thessalonians were living, which was pretty wild as a society. Sexual immorality was rife. Drunkenness, orgies, all this kind of thing was happening everywhere. The imperial household did nothing to control this, and in fact, they contributed to it quite considerably. And the idea that Paul is trying to instill into these people to whom he's writing is that we need, as they did, to develop a Christ-like lifestyle against this counter-cultural background Now, if there is any doubt in your mind about the need to be countercultural, just come and have a chat with me or one of the other leaders at some point, and I think we will be able to help you understand that. But I'm pretty sure that most of us do understand 
that we are living in some times when Christian values are being very challenged. And certainly, they are being challenged in the area of sexual relationships. They are being challenged in the way in which we relate to people as family, as friends, and indeed our work ethic. And so this first part that we're looking at is all concerned with how we live in a countercultural way. Now, I don't know what your impression of holiness is like. Maybe it's something like that, in which case I don't think I can live up to that. Don't like the dress style much. It may be, and I'm really delighted to see a lady in the back row who is actually wearing the same uniform as Mother Teresa, an amazing lady here who did such wonderful work during her lifetime. Can I aspire to that? I'm not sure. Maybe it's this sort of view. Do you recognize that? The Amish, yes, who have chosen to separate themselves from what's going on in what you might call the real world, and live in a very countercultural way, but in a way which, to many, doesn't seem very relevant to how the world currently is. So, whatever our concept of holiness is, we're just going to look at this passage in a little more detail and see what it means for us. And I would suggest, first of all, that it doesn't mean we withdraw from the world. Now, I was brought up in a context where Christianity consisted largely of a long list of things we didn't do. It was not fun, I can tell you. You know, we didn't go to the pub, we didn't dance, we didn't go to the cinema, didn't even go to the bowling alley. Theatre was sometimes allowed for me if it was Shakespeare. Although, if you've read Shakespeare, you might wonder at the logicality of that. But there is a lot to be said for understanding what living in the world, but living in a countercultural way might be. And this is what really struck me as I was preparing for this. How to live in order to please God, but to do it more and more. This is a way of life that we don't conjure up by our own initiative or indeed our own character, our temperament, our personality, even our giftings, I dare say. This is something that the Holy Spirit does in us. This is something where when we surrender our lives to God's will and stop trying to live in our own way, the Holy Spirit is at work in us. And it's out of that love for God in the first instance that we are able to work alongside others, to relate well to others, to behave in the right way towards others. Now, Paul is obviously addressing a specific issue here with the Thessalonians about their sexual behavior, but I guess it is a warning to all of us that relationships, sexual relationships, are something which should be kept intact and should be pleasing to God. Now, I say no more about that. It's up to us to examine our own hearts. But Jesus himself was also quite clear that 
we are to live our sexual lives in a way that is honouring to God. And we need to live this way within the context of love for fellow believers, which is what he mentions also in the letter, and with a missional concern for the wider world. It's this more and more. It's not a static thing. It's... Moving on. It's something we need to be aware of because we are not perfect human beings. And this idea of walking and journeying, something that is incremental in our spiritual experience, is something which we may at times stumble in. Now, we have to be aware that we're not talking here about sinless perfection in being holy. We are talking about a life that is pleasing to God and listening to him and being obedient. But we all stumble from time to time. And so we're not talking about perfection. And there's that verse there, which I find incredibly helpful. It reminds me frequently, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to give us, forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Just let that sink in for a minute. It's a fantastic thought. It doesn't matter what I've done in the past. If I bring that to Jesus through the blood of his cross and his death, he will deal with it. It may be there's somebody here this morning who needs to just talk to God about that. Take the opportunity. If you think about our purposes as a church, that first one is to become more like Jesus. That's what we're aiming for. That's what Paul is talking about here, becoming more like Jesus. Moving on, we come to the second bit, which is still concerned with holiness. And we are instructed to love one another the sort of illustration we often see. And, of course, there is that supreme example of Jesus washing his disciples' feet when he, in fact, gave them that commandment. Uh, if you look closely at that, you may wonder what those strange black things are that look as if they're crawling up the screen. <laughs> it may not be so clear on the large screen, but there are some rather strange-looking things. They're actually the sandals that have been taken off the disciples' feet. <laughs> It took me a while to realise what they were, but it was one illustration that I was permitted to download from the internet, so I, I kept it, but I thought it merited an explanation. So there we've got some rather strange shapes, but they are, in fact, the disciples', um, the disciples sandals that they, they have taken off. So that's what that picture is all about. That is Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And this was what he said to them. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And elsewhere in the New Testament, in Paul's letters to the Galatians, he adds to that, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Okay, so now he's talking about those who are already Christians or who belong to that family of Christian believers, 
in a sense, they merit a special place in our doing good, however we work that one out. And another one is this. Love keeps no record of wrongs. How do we love one another? What does it actually look like? We can invite each other around for meals. We can spend time with each other. But there are a few more subtle things that I just feel God would have me share with you this morning. And one is this business about keeping no record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians 13 is a passage which is frequently read at Christian weddings and indeed at other weddings. It's quite a classic piece of literature. But you look at that, it's all actions. It protects, it trusts, it hopes, it perseveres. Let's think about our relationships with one another. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to fall over ourselves with everybody within, for example, our church family. But that business about not keeping record of wrongs is hugely important because very often that can lead to bitterness, anger, all sorts of bad emotions that will eat me up, not the person that I'm thinking about and feeling angry about, but we are told love keeps no record of wrongs. I would challenge us this morning, is there somebody about whom you are still harboring negative and unkind thoughts, perhaps from years ago? I would ask you to get that right with God this morning. And practically increasing our love is also important. And here's another one which I think is a way in which we need to be aware of the subtle ways in which we can fail to love one another. If you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Now, that is really quite something Not if I've got something against them, but if they have something against me. Do we ask the Lord to show us if somebody has something against us? I'm not sure that I do it that frequently, but it's an important thing. It's a subtlety. And of course, praying for one another, including those whom we might regard as our enemies, although hopefully we don't have too many enemies within the church family, But remembering to pray for one another, perhaps sometimes we do have people who treat us badly, or maybe we treat people badly. We have to remember to pray for these people. And from my own experience, I would say that God can change our hearts when we pray for these people. He can actually change our attitudes. He may not change the person, but believe me, he will change you. And that's important as well. And one final thing, being aware of our own tendencies. In other words, having a bit of self-awareness is hugely important. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I challenge myself as well as you. The last time you responded quickly to something that somebody said out of a sense of maybe fear 
because you didn't like what they were saying and the effect it might have on you. Anger. Feeling you weren't being respected. What are our hearts full of? We need to think about that and how we respond. So, again, we come back to the passage and I've highlighted those words more and more. It is an incremental thing. Wherever we are today, we can be somewhere different through God's Holy Spirit at work in us. Right, moving swiftly on. Just to say that that is all about being family. So more like Jesus, being family. It follows on. Then thirdly, in this whole area of being holy, Paul talks about the world of work. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business, work with your hands just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Now, what does work look like? Well, any of those, take your pick. They're all forms of work. I don't know what everybody's situation is, those of you who are here this morning or maybe listening online. But each of us is in touch with other people, and for many of us, it is in the world of work. We have to move beyond the church family, and we're thinking about how this might play out with people who don't believe in God, who don't have a relationship with Jesus, do not have the Holy Spirit. And so all of what we've been saying about living a life that's pleasing to God is being done against the backdrop of a world that at best is probably indifferent to the gospel and at worst is antagonistic and hostile. So we're called to live faithfully, not just in the home or at church, but in the public sphere of work among our colleagues, employees, managers, associates, friends, pupils, if we're teaching, and so on. And our lives are to recommend the gospel to those who do not yet know Jesus. And at this point... I do like this verse. Now, Gary actually quoted it last week, and I can't remember whether he included the words that I've put in bold there, but I find them very enlightening. Always be ready when asked. Um, My dear husband Peter had a friend whom I didn't get on very well with when I first met Peter. I can see him smiling at me from behind the camera. Um, This friend would, in my view force the gospel down people's throats at the slightest provocation. So I had a friend sharing a flat with me when I was a student who was an architect. So as soon as he met her, he started talking to her, oh, you need to build your foundations on Jesus Christ. And I saw this girl sort of look at him and think, you know, what planet are you on? It just came completely out of the blue. He did it with the best of intentions, I have absolutely no doubt. But somehow, to me, this verse has spoken volumes. What is it about me and the hope that is within me, that actually makes people want to ask me. Would they want to? Who knows? I think it's a question we just need to ask ourselves. Would they want to ask me?
And it's likely that the Thessalonians weren't necessarily doing this terribly well. And we have to be aware that we are living centred in community and we do need to be aware of the image, because we carry the image of Jesus in us, that we are presenting to those amongst whom we live and work. And we are expected to do this in a very kind of low-key, almost mundane way. Just work hard. Do what you do to the best of your ability. Do it to please the Lord. Always be ready when asked. The final part of this chapter is again addressing something quite specific, and it's about having hope for those who had died. And it's quite clear that the Thessalonians obviously had a problem with wondering what was happening to people who had already died. Remember that most of the people in the early church were expecting Jesus to come back pretty soon. I think they thought it was going to be imminent. And for some of them, they stopped working. That was another thing, because they thought there was no point. The death of believers, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, the exact manner of Christ's return has been a matter of debate for as long as ever since Jesus left this earth. I'm not going to embark on any explanation of that, except I will say one thing. Would you be happy if he turned up now? Would I be happy if he turned up now? Would he find me in a good place in my relationship with him and with others? We do need to be aware that Jesus is going to return. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Don't be filled with a sense of dread. This should be something that actually thrills us that Jesus is coming back. And that's why we can be thrilled. If you and I can take that verse, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. It's a wonderful sense of hope. We will be with the Lord forever. Encourage one another with these words. There's the word Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Am I happy to say that? Are you happy to say that? Does it fill you with hope or dread? As a child, I was terrified that the Lord would return and take my parents and leave me behind. And I used to creep along to see if they were still in their bedroom at times. I was scared. Now, I have a different perspective. So, whatever 
it looks like, and I don't know where that's come from. Focus on Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you anything in your life that needs to be put right. We will have prayer ministry available. Ask for prayer. Pray on your own. Remember, this is incremental. More and more, we're all on a journey. None of us has arrived. None of us. Ask the Holy Spirit for opportunities to share your faith. And he will give them. And do it all against the backdrop of the death, resurrection, and return of Jesus. Amen.